Prepare your heart to receive another powerful message by David Harabedian, recorded live. Tonight we're going to talk about Triple Alignment Session 3. Triple Alignment Session 3. In previous weeks we've talked about how a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We've talked about how God desires in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that our whole spirit our whole or entire soul and our entire body be held blameless or sanctified until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll turn with me to our text for this evening, we're going to be coming out of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where God stated to the children of Israel that he wanted to take them out from under Pharaoh's hand in Egypt. Say Egypt. Egypt. And take them into the land of milk and honey, the land of Canaan. Say Canaan. Canaan. So God desires for every person who's born again. He desires for every person who's not born again. Every person on the planet, He desires to take them out from under the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt, symbolic of the world, its ways, its patterns of thinking, out from under the taskmaster of the devil, the mindset, the bondage of it, and to carry us into the land of freedom, the land of plenty. Turn with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 22, says this. And the Lord showed signs and wonders. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 22 through 24. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. Verse 23, you might want to mark this one's in your Bible. Because this is a keynote message in the Scriptures. And God brought us out from thence. Where's thence? Egypt. That He might bring us in to the land which He swore unto our fathers. He brought us out from thence that He might bring us in to the land of milk and honey. Why did He bring us out? That He might bring us in. Triple alignment. God came into your life when you were born again. You received Him and He gave you power to become the sons of God. John chapter 1 verse 12. All that received Him, He gave them power to become the sons of God. The word sons of God in the reference there is to be mature. When I was a child, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, 11, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a mature person in the Lord, I put away childish things. If you've still got temper tantrums, that's not, that's not maturity. You ever run across somebody who's really mature, something happens to them and they're like, yeah, that's not a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. be interesting to see what the Lord does on it. I called a friend of mine one time. And he told me this horrible thing that had happened. And I'm like, 
That's terrible. He says, yeah. He says, really? He says, uh, I'm just, I'm amazed at what the Lord's going to do in this one. I'm thinking to myself, you're not frazzled? You're not moved? This is crazy. And he's like, oh yeah. He says, but all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. So God's going to give me double for my trouble on this one. And He's going to turn it all around. It's going to be a great testimony. And I thought, this guy is mature in the Lord. I said, doesn't it move you? He says, I'm a little moved by it. He says, but I'm not greatly moved. He says, because I know God. I thought, wow, this guy's living in Canaan land in his spirit, in his mind, in his thinking, his will and his emotions are stable in the Lord. And when you have your mind stayed on Him, Scripture says in Isaiah 26, 3, 26, 2 and 3, he will keep you in perfect peace yeah. when your mind yeah. is stayed on Him. Yeah. Psalms 119, 165 says, Great shalom, great peace have they which love your word, and nothing shall offend them. What? Nothing? What's the Hebrew word for nothing mean? It means nothing. I'm like, what? So people come to me, they're like, well, so and so, he offended me. I'm like, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. But you don't know what he did. That's a great peace, have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What are you doing quoting scripture to me? I'm trying to tell you what he said. And I say, well, wait a second. What he said or what the Lord says? Because the Lord's words trump whatever he did. Because while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for you and, and me. And if we stand praying, we're to forgive others that our Heavenly Father might also forgive us our trespasses. Now, what did he do? Well, um, well, let me tell you what he did. I let him get it out. I said, you done venting? You ready to repent? Why do I have to repent? Because you're harboring offense. And offense will create offense between you and God. Offense will create a fence between you and God. So we choose not to be offended. Somebody came to me one day. They gave me a prophetic word. About 1992, I'm in prison. They gave me a prophetic word. And they came in such a spirit of anger. And I mean, they didn't like me to start with. And here they get a prophetic word. So God sends somebody who doesn't like me to give me a prophetic word. And it comes through the filter of their offense and anger toward me. Wow. And I'm like, I get blasted, right? And uh, it was like a word correction. And so I go to a, another friend of mine. I'm like, you know what so-and-so just came to me and said? He's like, what? I told him. And he said, uh-huh. I said, what do you mean, uh-huh? He said, yeah, it's true about you. <laughs> I said, ah, have you been talking to him? He's like, no, but I mean, you know, really, the, I've been praying for you about that, and the, the Lord's been wanting me to talk to you about that. Oh I'm like, ah, well, ah, he says, David, a mature believer, when somebody comes to him in a wrong spirit, but a right word will receive the word and reject the spirit and move on. An immature believer, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, when I became a woman of God, when I became a Proverbs 31 woman of God, mm -hmm. 
When I became a man of God, I put away childish things. Offenses are childish things. Unforgiveness is a childish thing. Bitterness is a... But you don't know what they did to me, David. My situation's unique. Jesus is on the cross. Without sin. And he says these words. Get them, Dad. You know what they did to me. Pull out the lightning bolts. Pull out the special angels and make them suffer. No, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved the world that He gave love because God is love. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So you've seen the Father's love in the person of Jesus. And when He walked the earth, He said these words, Forgive them, Dad. They don't know what they do. The enemy has their mind. Scripture says, had they known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. What happens when they crucify you at the workplace? How do you respond? Oh, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Sounds good. But do you mean it? You know, I had somebody testify against me. And I got indicted three times on the same evidence over a period of four years, 11 months, 27 days in different jurisdictions. I mean, I just kept on getting hit with indictments. I mean, every time I'd get called to research and receiving in discharge, I'm thinking it's because I've won my case and they got another indictment for me. Anyway, the person that they used in, a, in the, the, the second two indictments was a person that I was involved in the crime with. And not only did they turn me in for additional conduct that they didn't know about. I'm already going to prison. For five, he was trying to get me life. And he was not telling the truth. I mean, the truth would have done. But he wasn't even indicted. He called them. And the money that was involved that he was holding for me, he stole. And then told him I got the money. Whoa. Hold on, this is all documented in the courts. I don't make this stuff up. Anyway, long story short, I get enhanced. I get an extra 10, 12 years maybe. Based upon his perjured testimony. Hold on. I'm not just saying it's perjured. He later got indicted and convicted for perjury premised upon his testimony against me. I still did every day of my time. Jesus. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, 1998. Bill Mushi, Read it online. Anyway, I, I like to have nouns in my stories. People, places, and things. Just to qualify. I'm not saying I was innocent. Okay? I'm just saying. Yeah, I jaywalked, but I didn't push the nun and kick the poodle. Okay? But I was jaywalking. Okay. Probably doing a little worse than that. But anyway, I got enhanced for these other things. And here I am in Leavenworth Penitentiary, where if you're not right with God, you're always just one heartbeat away from hell. And I'm in Building 63, and I'm with my co-defendant, Sal, and I'm with Big George Bruton, who's done like 26 out of the last 30 in prison, looking at life without parole on another case. And, you know, I mean, George is a seasoned convict. America's most wanted at one time, you know, a lot of stuff. We're in a cell. And 
Long story short, I've got to forgive the person who's trying that stole my money, turned me in for the crime, lied, and is getting me an enhanced sentence. I mean, I'm already down. Don't kick me. And I said, how can I forgive this guy? And the person says to me, David, what I had to do was I had to get on my knees and ask the Lord. I had to give him the canvas of my heart. See, this is for somebody right now. I had to give him the canvas of my heart and the hatred and the anger and the rage and the revenge and the bitterness. See, bitterness is like drinking poison in hopes that somebody else will get sick from it. It just doesn't work. You're like, boy, I think I'm going to get even with them. I'm eating arsenic today. (laughs) Who would do that? There's a song that says, To me, from me, so my heart will know. To me, from me, let forgiveness flow. Where does forgiveness come from? It comes to you, from you. Because when you release somebody from unforgiveness, you receive forgiveness. When you harbor unforgiveness, you block the forgiveness because your offense built a fence between you and God. Isaiah 59.2 says, the Lord's arm is not too short that He cannot deliver. His ear is not dull that He can't hear. But your iniquities have separated. They built a fence between you and your God. Well, unforgiveness is iniquity. It is a bent or crooked or larcenous nature inside of you and me. And Stephen, when he was getting stoned to death for preaching the gospel, said these words. Get him, God. Lord, do not hold this sin to their charge. And Jesus gets up. We're seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is my, my depiction of the event. This is the way I read the scriptures. This is my exegetical interpretation, if you might. Watch my homiletics and hermeneutics. Anyway. Perfect soteriology. Throwing a little eschatology here. The Greek nuances. Okay. Plain David Herobedian version. I think the reason Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the throne of God is shown standing at the right hand. Because Stephen looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of the throne of God. What got him up off his throne? I believe he's like, Dad, check it out down there. The same thing I said on the cross. He's saying while they're stoning him, look how much of me is in him. Let's bring him on home for his reward. And by the way, let's answer his prayer. Next week, I heard Saul's going on a road to Damascus. Let me stop on by. I got a little right cross for him. See, when you let the Lord fight your battles, when you act Christ-like, and when you release Jesus into the situation, He shows up in a way where He causes your enemies to become your footstools. Think about this. I've never thought about it till now. But you know, Stephen did evangelism while he's getting stoned. Yeah, he did. And guess who comes into the kingdom with his evangelism? 
Saul of Tarsus, who's holding the coats. Hold on. Derivatively, who shares in the credit for two-thirds of the New Testament with Paul? Stephen. I bet he's got a big crown up there. That's exciting. I want to go visit him. You know, I want to go visit the Apostle Paul, but now I want to go visit Stephen first. How did you do it, Stephen? I just yielded. I saw it the way Jesus saw it. I just caught a vision. Jesus filled me with this love in that moment. Forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. You want to enter into the land of Canaan? Do you want to come out from the land under the bondage of Pharaoh, come into triple alignment, spirit, soul, and body, following the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into the land of milk and honey? It comes by releasing unforgiveness toward other people that you might experience the full measure of Christ's forgiveness in your life. Do you know why some of us beat ourselves up? We get under condemnation for this and that. Because with the same measure we've judged others, we're judged. Even though the Lord may not even be judging us that way, we judge ourselves. But when we forgive others, we have an experience of walking in forgiveness and freedom from condemnation. Well, this thing about forgiveness is central in this message, isn't it? Not in my notes. But I think it's in the script of heaven today. Amen. Triple alignment. God wants to bring us out from fence that He might bring us into the land that He promised us. He wants you and I to be in the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land of more than enough. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus gives us a promise in Matthew 7, verse 7. And this is what He says. He says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Body, soul, spirit. Egypt, wilderness, Canaan land. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Milk, Hamburgers and fries, strong meat. (laughs) Natural light, things seen that you can touch. Inner courts. Candlelight that you must trim on a daily basis. In the Holy of Holies, in the land of Canaan, it's the Shekinah glory supernatural light that comes off the ark of the covenant. When you ask, it's things known, outer courts, it's body, it's natural light. When you seek, it's things that He begins to quicken you to in the Word. They become illuminated as you read the Word. And all of a sudden, boom, you're invited in to the Holy of Holies. And there, fellowship happens. See, in the outer courts, we ask, it's things known. In the inner court, we're seeking. And He begins to reveal things through the Word 
through worship, through prayer. He quickens us. The gifts of the Spirit start to operate. And what do we do? When we get that insight, we begin to praise Him. In the outer courts, there's the altar of sacrifice where blood is shed. And then there's the water laver where we wash our hands. And then we're invited into the inner courts. There's a sevenfold candelabra that illuminates across the room the twelve loaves of bread. In the outer courts, repent blood sacrifice and be baptized water laver. And you might receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in the illumination of the seven candlesticks. The sevenfold Spirit of God in Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. Spirit of might and counsel and wisdom. And, might. and then there's an altar of incense. And when you've been repented and you've been baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, now all of a sudden you have the illumination to understand the bread, the Word of God. And when illumination comes as you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the Word of truth, when that revelation, when that insight, when that quickening of Scripture, when something lifts off the page and God shows you something, you begin to get on your knees at the altar of incense and praise Him. And at that point, He says, Come on in. And let's hang out together. We're deep calls unto deep. Psalms 42.7 Where at the noise of His water spouts, all the billows and waves of His presence that billow off the Ark of the Covenant, that last piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies where the two cherubs are in gold off the Ark of the Covenant. You just sit at His feet like Mary did. And you just soak it up. And when you come out of there, when you walk out of your prayer closet, it's the kind of glory shines on you. Peter's shadow begins to heal the sick and cast out devils. When you come off the mountain with God, you may have entered the prayer closet in the valley of your life. You may have entered weak and beggarly and scared and timid and frustrated, angry. You didn't know what you were going to do. And you asked Him everything you could and you ran out of words and you had no answers. And you open the Word. You're flipping through the pages, playing Bible roulette. God, show me something! Show me something! I can land on something, said an angel. Yeah. <laughs> and in His mercy, whoosh, something lifts off the page. Whoosh, and you go from frustrated, scared, timid, not knowing what you're going to do because you asked Him everything you could in your body in your natural reasoning. And all of a sudden, He turns it around. And He shows you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Turn the other cheek. Forgive! Amen. And you get it. Your flesh is now put into alignment underneath your soul. Before, your soul was in control. Your flesh was in control. But now your soul on top of the flesh. And the Spirit is starting to rise. Spirit's starting to rise. See, because you are designed for your Spirit to be King, your soul 
to be servant and your body to be slave. But we walk into the prayer closet if we tell the truth and shame the devil tonight. We walk in with our flesh as king. And we're out of alignment. But by the time we get to the end of ourselves, that's when God starts to begin in your prayer time. God doesn't begin until you get to the end of yourself. That's why we are to labor to enter into the rest of God. We have to labor to get out of ourselves so that we can get into Him. See, when we labor to get into the rest, it's not where God becomes inactive. It's where we become inactive without God's activity. The rest or the peace or the remainder of God is not where God is inactive or even where we're inactive. It's where we become inactive unless He's activating us. We become ones now that have been sent by God, not those that just went on our own. But when we deliver a pure word, it's because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. There's love. There's His grace involved. It's not a mixture. God, I'm going to go do this. Bless it. Stop. Just stop it, child. God, I'm not going anywhere unless you speak. Oh, he'll speak. Like, oh, I finally got your attention. I've been waiting 47 years for this. He's got an assignment for you. He's waiting for you to get done with all yours. Flesh has been moving. He's been trying to bless your Ishmaels the best he could. Then you're wondering why there's so many problems with those. Oh, God will bless your Ishmael. But you'll have to live with it. He won't kill your Ishmael. He'll cause it to grow up right with you. I've had some Ishmaels in ministry, some Ishmaels in business. They don't go away. Lord, I just pray that whole thing would die. But remember all those prayers, David, when you asked me to bless it? I'm saying kill it now! Why? It's almost full grown. But it's a monster! It's got three heads! You birthed it! It's your offspring! It's your mutant ninja turtle! Mm. When it's God, we look at Him and we say, Oh my gosh, look what He's done. When it's us, we're like, Yeah. Oh, look what God has done. Little G, me, myself, and I, unholy trinity. Look what we did. Let's go ahead and ascribe God's name to it and call it Him so that we can at least act like we were working for Him. I love what Billy Graham says. He says in the first century church, if the Holy Spirit were to lift off of the church, lift off of the earth, 95% of Christian activity would instantly cease. He said, I fear in the current church that if the Holy Spirit were to leave the earth, 95% of all Christian activity would continue on unabated. Nobody would know the difference. I, I, I love this uh, story about a kid. He was at the back seat of the car after the church service and they're on the way home. The mother is there and the father's saying, you know, the choir was okay, but they were a little off key. And the mother's saying, yeah, she says, you know, they were okay. She says the sermon was kind of marginal. You know, I did kind of take the notes that they handed us out. And, you know, it was okay. And the son says, yeah, but still it wasn't a bad show for a buck. Buck, was it? <laughs> Everything's in perspective. Okay. <laughs> 
spirit, soul, and body. Are you in alignment or are you out of alignment? I was listening to a CD today and I was listening to a piece of it that was shared in a previous message and it illuminated to me. When the head is in alignment, the rest of the body follows. In wrestling, this is what we learned. When you wanted to turn the body and you couldn't turn the arm and you couldn't turn the leg because that's a strong part, all you got to do is work that top eight pounds on the shoulders. And when you start to dig an elbow in and twist the chin, you'll find that the rest of the body will flip over on its back. And God is trying to get us in alignment in our thinking. And you know what will happen when you get into alignment in your thinking? <coughs> the rest of your actions will follow. And if you're having difficulties in your marriage, and there's a division in your marriage, and you're the man of the house, get into alignment with God. She's part of you. She's not taken from your foot because you don't step on her. She's not taken from your head because you don't have her Lord over you. She's taken as a rib from your side that you walk together and protect her. Amen? So, so here's the point. When you're having difficulties in your relationship with your spouse, could it be, and I just say it suggestively, that maybe you're not in alignment with the head? Because if you're in alignment with the head, the body will line up. Or it will break off. Hmm. And that happens sometimes. That happens sometimes. This is what the Lord spoke to me one day. He said to me, David, the wife will only submit to the husband when the husband is submitted to the Lord. Amen. The wife will only submit to the husband when the husband is submitted to the Lord. When he's in alignment. When the husband is submitted unto the Lord, it's easy for the wife to submit unto the husband because in reality, she's submitting to Christ Amen. in him. And he treats his wife well. Amen. If you're truly a king, you'll raise up a queen. Come on. Kings raise up queens. Amen? Amen. Don't blame her. Get into alignment. You got to go on a 40-day fast. If she doesn't get in alignment then, you are. And I got news for you. If she's not in alignment and she's got a Jezebel spirit and she was really that bad to start with, there might be hell to pay. Literally. But you won't go there. Tell the truth, shame the devil. How much are you willing? Are you willing to get into alignment regardless of the outcome? If so, trust me, there's rewards. I've seen more marriages restored when the husband gets into alignment. And guess what? He doesn't have to force it. Because God does the work. There's an illustration. I call it the growth pyramid. In fact, I think I've got it here. You've got a growth pyramid. At the bottom, you've got a 30-fold harvest. In the middle, a 60-fold. And at the top, a 100-fold. There's the good, the better, and the best will of God. Mm -hmm. The 30, the 60, the 100-fold harvest. Beloved, 
I beseech you by the mercies of God. Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your crowning achievement. Which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed through the renewing of your mind that you might know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's not that God has three wills, but He has a triune will. It's not that He's three gods, but He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is H2O? Well, it's ice, it's water, it's steam. Well, which is it? Yes. Is it Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Is it good, acceptable, or perfect? Yes. Amen? Now the mysteries of God. Praise the Lord. Theology is the art of making the simple complex. Okay. The 30, the 60, the 100-fold harvest. The point is this. When a man is at the bottom side of the pyramid on the far left, and the woman's at the other bottom side of the pyramid at the far right, if she begins to move up toward Christ, who's at the top, and he begins to move up toward Christ, who's at the top, if you notice the distance between them begins to become smaller the farther they move up the pyramid toward Christ. But here's what happens. One moves all the way up, the other one stays here, the distance is the same. We need to grow together. But it's not our job to change our spouse. Our job is to forgive our spouse. And our job is to serve the Lord. And guess what? When you're a husband and she ain't acting right, when you get some act right, she'll notice a difference in you and she'll want to change. This is what I found. Neither party is normally 100% right. Revelation of revelations. Might be 50-50, might be 90-10, but normally there's some culpability. One person does one thing, the other one reacts and goes out and does something crazier. Well, look what you did. And then they begin to point the finger. What did I do that could have caused them to do that? What did I fail to do that could have caused them to do that? And here's another interesting thing. Have you ever walked up to somebody and said, you know, I was completely wrong about that the other day. And I want to accept 100% of the responsibility for causing that incident. Have you ever had anybody say, well, you may probably never said that to anybody. Accepting 100%. When you do accept 100% of the responsibility for the, 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 the incident, here's what happens. Never do they say, well, I'm glad you accepted 100% of the responsibility because I had nothing that I did that was wrong in that incident. <laughs> Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want to accept 100% of the responsibility. I'm going on the cross. I want to be hung up for their hang-ups. I want the glory of God on my life. Pray that God will give me the glory, brother. 1 Peter 4.10 Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But when you reproach for the name of Christ, happy are you, and the Spirit of God and glory resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as an evildoer, a thief, a murderer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Or a busybody in other men's matters. Or a busybody in other men's matters. 
Or a busybody in other men's matters. What are you doing in their business anyway? You know, in prison we used to say this. Somebody would come up and you'd be like, you need to get you some. Get you what? You need to get you some business. Get you some business. What do you mean? Well, obviously, you need to get some of your own because you're in mine. Sometimes you need to get some of your own business. Do business with God and repent. And forgive them and move forward. Have you ever had somebody really offend you? And it took you years to get over it. Finally, finally you get over it. Then they come up. And now they're ready to forgive you. They're they're ready to ask for forgiveness. But it's a non-issue with you. You're like, oh, that, no big deal. Man, you cried crocodile tears over that issue. You wanted to call fire from heaven on them. You wanted them. I'm not even going to tell you the things that you wanted to happen to them. Your brother or sister in Christ. Blood bought by the blood of Jesus. Strike them dead. You know what they've got. They're going to get cancer. And then when they do, you can always tell if you've got unforgiveness. You'll be like, so and so came down with cancer. (laughs) About time. Doesn't surprise me. Whoa, you're going to get it next if you're not careful. You've already got it. It just hasn't manifested. Because bitterness. Ooh. Just get rid of it. 85% of sicknesses are rooted in unforgiveness. There's a scripture that talks about a man that owed $10 million and another guy that owed about 15 bucks. And the man that owed $10 million, he couldn't pay. He was going to be thrown in prison. And the wealthy man says, you know what? I'm just going to forgive you your debt. I'm just going to tear it up. Forgive it. Go on. He's like, oh, thank you so much. I, 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 thank you so much. And then he sees a guy that owes him 15 bucks. Give me that fin and that saw buck you owe me. Well, I can't really afford it right now. Oh, I'm going to put you in prison over that 15 bucks. But the wealthy man heard about it. And he says, didn't I forgive that man his $10 million? And now he's going to harbor a debt against somebody over 15 bucks. He says, you know what? Throw him in debtor's prison until he pays the last penny and release the tormentors. That's what it says in the King James. It talks about tormentors. And you know why some of us can't get free from tormenting spirits? We have bad dreams. We have spirits of infirmity. We're not free where Christ paid the price for us because of unforgiveness. And it's released the tormentors. I was awakened about five months ago in the middle of the night. I thought I was having a heart attack. I'm up, pacing the floor, you know. Got the pain in my chest. I'm like, Lord, what's going on? I call a prayer line. I'm like, I got to get some prayer. Either either that or I got to go to the emergency room. Eh, I don't really preach that. Okay. I got to live my faith. I'm like, okay, but I'm feeling like I'm going to die. I mean, I'm clammy. I'm about to pass out. I'm I'm like, Lord, what's going on? So I call a prayer line, and somebody answers it like, you know, 1230 in the morning. You can't get these people to give you anything but a prayer line, like, like, recording. 
and I get a real person. I don't know if it's an angel or what. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm being really calm. I'm like, I need some prayer. I feel like uh, I've got a, I'm a bit of a heart condition right now. I don't know what's going on. I'm a little clammy arms and this and that. And he's like, okay, let me pray for you. Praise. He goes, go back to bed. You'll be fine. Bless you. Click. I'm like, I don't feel any different. I'm like, but, you know, I, I, I know the ministry. They have people of God. They hear from heaven. I'm like, oh, you know. And I'm like, okay. So I'm laying down. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to try to go to bed. And I did feel just a little bit better. Like the main thing just kind of like lifted off me. The truth will kind of set you free. Sometimes it will make you miserable first depending upon what kind of truth comes. So, so I'm laying there and I'm like, Lord, the curse without cause will not come. How did this come? How did this come? What? Did I open the door? Could it have possibly been me? Duh. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. You know, was it witchcraft? Maybe, but you opened the door. How did your hand get burned? I don't know. Where, where did it get burned at? On a hot stove. Well, who put your hand there? I did. Well, didn't, didn't somebody tell you not to touch the hot stove? Well, yeah, but it was a pretty orange. <laughs> called a friend of mine one day and he tells me about this invention he makes and I won't tell you what it is and I'm like what? You invented that? And he says to me he goes, yeah. He goes, isn't that amazing? I'm like, you think God gave you that idea? No. <laughs> and he says to me, he says, well he says, you know, I'm an inventor and you know, I'm like, God did not give you that idea. No. And I said to him, I said where are you going to market that thing? He says, well, I had to go on some kind of sites I wouldn't normally go to to market it. I'm like, yeah. I said, that's not God. I said, so how long have you spent on those sites? Oh, Brother David, okay. I got addicted to pornography when I was trying to market my product. Wow. Don't let the devil ride. Yeah. Don't let the devil ride. Cause if you let him ride, he'll wanna drive. Don't let him ride. Don't let him flag you down. Don't let him flag you down. Cause if he flags you down, he'll turn your life around. Don't let him ride. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him in the car. <laughs> Cause if he's in the car, he'll put you in the jar. Don't let him ride. <laughs> you know, sometimes we wonder how it happens. So I'm laying in bed. And I'm like, <sighs> I mean, you know, the whole thing. I mean, I got, I've got every symptom. Classic. Oh, and if I'd have gone to the hospital? Oh, by the time they were done? They would, I mean, somebody would have got a second home. You know, they'd have me on every type of beta blocker. I mean, and they'd have been doing the best they could. Not knowing it was an unforgiveness issue in me. And the Lord brings me into remembrance of a person who's really wronged me in a business transaction. I mean, like really wronged me. Like, I, I mean, when I say, I mean, 
I'm thinking maybe 1% wrong on this thing. And the 1% is like meeting the person. <laughs> right? And I mean, and it's a pastor. And if I told you, you'd be like, come on. I mean, I, I've talked with some other pastors about it. They're like, oh, that guy's got some serious stuff coming. You need to pray for him. I'm like, yeah, I need to pray for him. They're like, not that kind of prayer. Not that Pentecostal charismatic witchcraft, David. You need to pray that, you know, judgment doesn't fall. I mean, so the Lord shows me. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. It's life or death. Okay, I'll forgive him. It's life or death. Tell him the truth. So I release him unto the Lord and a little weight lifts off my chest. I'm like, whew, oh, I'm going to make it through the night now. The Lord shows me a second person. Oh my gosh. Well, they did this really wrong. And I'm like, life or death. The curse without cause will not come. Proverbs 26.2 I've opened the door. I let him ride. Now he's wanting to drive. He's wanting to drive me into the grave. And I forgive him. We're on this forgiveness theme, aren't we? I'm transparent. So I forgive him. More weight comes off my chest. The Lord brings me a third person. And I'm like, wow. I didn't realize I had so many issues. I preach. <laughs> Come on, I'm supposed to be exempt from this stuff. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, you know, that's... Come on, I'm in front of congregations. And God's like, yeah, I'd like to put you in front of bigger congregations, but I can't with this stuff in your heart. We limit ourselves. We wonder why we don't get promoted. We haven't passed the test. The good news is this. When you fail a test, God is so merciful, He just re-enrolls you in class. I don't know why I have to go around this mountain time and time again. He promised me that he brought me out from thence that he might bring me into the land of Canaan. And all I see is sand. All I see is manna. How many ways can you cook manna? I've had it fried. I've had it boiled. I've had it raw. Poached manna. I'm tired of manna. Forty years of manna. And that rock just keeps following us. Thank God we get some water out of him. Murmuring and complaining. Oh, here come the fiery serpents again. Oh, why is this happening? He's such a mean God. No, it's only an 11 day walk from Egypt to Canaan land. But it took them 40 years. Because of whining, murmuring, complaining, unforgiveness, blaming God. Tempting God ten times in the wilderness. They limited the Holy One of Israel. God brings me the fourth person I have to forgive. I'm like, oh my gosh. But each one got easier. Lifts off my chest. Brings me the fifth one. (laughs) Talk about the curse without cause will not come. The fifth one hadn't done anything wrong to me. But I'd taken on a burden to help them. Man of God, doing the best they can, very fruitful in the kingdom. But I'd taken on burdens beyond what God had told me to take on. And so I had unforgiveness towards somebody that I was helping and was very fruitful, but I took on more than the Lord told me to take on. 
And I was angry at them. Didn't even want to take their calls. They hadn't done anything wrong. Oh my goodness. But I was angry at them because I agreed to do more than I had been assigned to. So I had to repent for my sin for agreeing to do something God didn't tell me to do because I was one who went, not one who sent. When you're sent, there's liberty, there's grace. When you went, you got to pay your own way. If IBM sends you, they pay. If you go and IBM hasn't told you to go, and you show up with your IBM credentials, it's a challenge. And you got to pay. You have to pay financially. You have to pay in your health. You have to pay in your relationships that are messed up. I was with some people last night. And one man had a dream and he was shown ten people. And of the ten people, they were all ministers. And of the ten, the wife was home the husband who was a minister wasn't at home. And she's looking for her husband in the bedroom and she's looking underneath the bed and she can't, can't find him. She can't find him. And so at five in the morning, he calls all ten ministers to find out where they're at. Can you imagine getting a phone call at 5 a.m.? Well, he has this dream vision. He's got a mandate from the Lord. Six out of the ten were separated from their wives, not even living in the same house. The other four were having such terrible marital strife and difficulties because the husband went to go do ministry and wasn't sent. The cobbler's son is the only one that doesn't have shoes in town because he gave them to everybody else's sons. Take care of your own house. It's God first, wife and family second, and ministry third. Amen. I don't have a wife. I'm married to the ministry. But I'm looking for a wife. But I'm too busy in the ministry to find one. Okay. God has got to be first. You have to be in alignment. We're going to close out here. I want to share this final thing. In Romans chapter 6, I don't know where you're living but God wants to give you a better piece of real estate in His kingdom. Romans chapter 6 is the outer courts. Romans chapter 7 is the inner courts and Romans chapter 8 is the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 6 is Egypt. Romans chapter 7 is the wilderness and Romans chapter 8 is the land of Canaan. Okay. Romans chapter 6 is the 30-fold harvest. Romans chapter 7 is the 60-fold and Romans chapter 8 is the 100-fold. Romans chapter 6 is the natural light with your own sight. Romans chapter 7 is the light that comes when you burn the candle reading the Word and getting set free. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 8 is the supernatural light. Oh Romans chapter 6 is milk. Mm. Romans chapter 7 is hamburger and fries. Romans chapter 8 is strong meat. Romans chapter 6 Kind of fun. Yeah. Romans chapter 6 is obedient faith. God said it in His Word, you do it. Forgive? That's Romans 6. You gotta come. The only way you'll get out of Romans 6, the only way you'll get out of Egypt is just do it. Okay. Romans chapter 7 
is experimental faith. Obedient faith is Romans 6. Experimental faith is Romans 7. And commanding faith is Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 6 is Thanksgiving. You can go to a football game have Thanksgiving. Romans 7, praise. Romans 8 is worship. See, you praise with your hand. You, 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 you clap and thank with your hands. You praise with your mind, will, and emotions. But when you worship, you worship in spirit and in truth. So body, soul, spirit. Egypt, wilderness where God gets the wild and us out. Canaan land. Where are you living? God wants to sing this song to you. Moving on up. To the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> you can have the days of heaven on earth if you'll come into alignment. Romans chapter 6 is a land of not enough. Because he who loves money never has money enough. I had more money when I was a drug dealer than I do now. But I never had enough. I live pretty good. The Lord does take care of things. And you know what? It comes in such ways because I don't spend my money the same way I did before. I don't have a $300 bar tab. And that's if I'm alone. Praise God. In the outer courts in Egypt, it's the land of not enough. In the inner courts in the wilderness, it's the land of just enough daily manna. In the Holy of Holies, it's the land of more than enough. So, these are some litmus tests. How do you get out of the piece of real estate you're in? Alignment. Because He brought you out from thence that He might bring you into the land that He promised you. Warning. Out of the three million that He brought out of Egypt and gave that promise to, how many of them entered in? Two. Joshua and Caleb. That was under the law. We're under grace. We can get there easier because we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. We're not obeying 613 Levitical laws with the 365 do-nots and the 248 do's. We are obeying not even the Ten Commandments. He's made it so simple. He's reduced it to two commandments. To get into alignment and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments do all the law and prophets hang. You're not going to covet your neighbor's wife when you're in love with the Lord and you love your neighbor. You're not going to worship false gods when you love the Lord your God. You're not going to steal when you love the Lord your God. You <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. <coughs> we have Holy Ghost power to overcome and to enter in. Romans 6, Egypt. What shall we say? Verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because where sin abounds, grace abounds. It doesn't abound to keep us in sin, 
or to empower us to continue to sin. If you've got somebody who's on drugs and they keep coming to you, they've got a gambling habit, an alcohol habit, a pornography habit, if they're running the streets and they come to you and they need money, you need to tell them, no, I'm not going to give you money and grace unmerited favor so you can continue in sin. But when you're ready to repent, I'll help bring you out. And I'll meet every one of your needs according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Shall we continue in sin any longer that grace may abound? Verse 2, God forbid. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, declares the Lord, and I will be your father and you'll be my sons. Romans 7, verse 14. Wilderness. We came out from among them. We came out of Egypt. We came out from under the hand of Pharaoh by mighty outstretched arm. Romans 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. This is the Apostle Paul, 14 years in Christ. He was still having some issues. I know none of you do. Right? I was just saying the other day, Zenobi and I, it's only too perfect. Me and thee. And lately I've been wondering a little about thee. <laughs> we have a tendency to think that we get saved a couple of years we think all of a sudden we got no issues if there's an issue it's somebody else's but when you point a finger there's three pointing right back at you anyway we know that the law is spiritual I'm carnal sold under sin what am I doing I do not understand for what I'm doing I do not understand for what I will to do that I do not practice but what I hate that I do is that anybody's testimony I was in a prison cell reading it out of the NIV and I'm reading this what I, what I, what I try to do I don't do what I don't want to do I do I'm like Paul wrote this to me he knew, he saw me through the telescope of prophecy 2,000 years ago. He knew that this verse would be for me. I didn't realize it's for everybody. But he jumped up off the page and I'm like, oh, if, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells in me. The only good place for the flesh is on the cross. The flesh will never know God as Father. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Get it crucified. I'm talking about the fleshly natures. Don't hurt your flesh. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it to what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I can't believe I did it again. Oh, I hate myself for it. The besetting sin. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. My inward man loves God. My outward man will never know flesh. Flesh will never know God as Father. It's an enmity with Him. We've got to crucify the fleshly desires. And it, Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. In Galatians 2.20 it says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. The word I am crucified with Christ, it's the word ago in the Greek. You ever do a word search on the word I? The word ago, alpha, gamma, omicron. It's where we get our word ego from. 
My ego is crucified with Christ. It's no longer my ego that lives, but Christ who lives in me. When Christ tells me to go lay hands on the sick, my ego says, what if they don't get healed? I'm going to look bad. My ego is crucified. I'm going to go do it anyway. When, 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 when the Holy Spirit tells me to go ask for forgiveness or to forgive somebody, my ego says, but they did this to me and I'm going to get even. No, your ego is crucified with Christ. Go do what Christ told you to do. Amen. One time I'm in prison and a guy is trying to provoke me. It was a religious war. It was terrible. They didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. You know, they were like, all these things. And I mean, they made every theological excuse on why God didn't move that way. And when they were losing the spiritual battle for the souls on the compound within the body of Christ, they removed the joy in the church to the point to where they were twice dead, plucked up by the roots. This is what happened. They, 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 they diminished the church down from about 85 people to 18. And they were looking for the rest. Because they were perfectionists and they were good on their doctrine. Long story short, it came to a head and I was at the apex of this thing. And a guy comes up to me and he's trying to provoke me. He's calling me all kinds of names. He's accusing me of things in prison that are not only contrary to scripture and, and, and what I believe and practice and preach, but would put a mark on me in prison. And I'm like, I mean, it, it salted my... Every type of character assassination is coming out of this guy's mouth who's, you know, one of the Christian inmate leaders on the compound. And there was a flash. You know, I got kind of a martial arts background. And I'm looking, and his neck is kind of up. And, I mean, I saw it. It was like the beautiful one, two, three. I mean, it was like... I mean, it was, it was perfect. Oh, my double and And my flesh rose, and the Spirit of God rose with me. But it was, it was close. It was like I almost launched. And the Holy Spirit grabbed me. And I said, well, that's not true. And uh, then he called me a name that really provokes a person in a prison setting. And there were lots of people watching crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, my ego that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And when he realized he couldn't provoke me, he spit in my face. Did he really just do that? This didn't just happen. This is surreal. And he's got that neck up. <laughs> and I reach up and I wipe it. And I said, my Lord tells me to turn the other cheek. And he spit on that one. <laughs> God bless him. I'm hoping he's watching on video. We actually reconciled about a year and a half later. But um, Anyway, what I didn't know is it released something in the atmosphere. When I didn't fall prey to that attack, God caused the chaplain 
to preach a message and call everybody to repentance. The six that were involved that had reduced the church from 85 to 18, or really 12, not counting them, wouldn't come to the communion table because they were married to their doctrine and their egos. The church in two weeks was back up to 100. And they were out until they worked their way back in. But the point was this. Somebody comes to me on the compound. And I mean, they were straight gangsters. They were born again, but they were gangsters. Yeah. <laughs> they're, like, um, they're like, David, we saw what happened. Joe did this and that. and We're ready. You know, we're suited and booted. We're going to go up there. We're going to do whatever you want us to do. Whoa. Now, I've got the power of life and death in my hands with my spoken words at this point. Yeah. And... I mean, these guys did have it coming. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, you just don't know. <laughs> it had gone on for a long time. Ended up having to go wash one of their feet. But uh, one of their feet set up. Anyway. But I said, you're going to do whatever I ask. They looked at me. They go, whatever you ask, we're going to do. We've already got six guys. We're going to go get the three of them. I said, you're going to do whatever I say, whatever you say. I said, whatever I say. They all nodded their heads. Whatever you say to do, we're going to do. I said, okay, we're going to forgive them. And the one looked at me and he said, forgive them? I said, forgive them. And the other one looked at me, forgive them? I said, forgive them. We're going to forgive them. We're going to forgive them. Dave says, we're going to forgive them. We're going to forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. We're going to forgive them. Dave says, we're going to forgive them. We're going to forgive them. Whatever he said, we're going to forgive That was a tough test. But it was after that the revival came back into the church and the joy came back. And when we are crucified with Christ, it's no longer our ego that lives. And when we say, forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do. The love of Christ fills and floods our soul and spills out. Romans 8, Canaan land. As it ends in Romans 7, it says this, Who will deliver me from this wretched body of sin? But praise be to God through Christ Jesus. If you could deliver yourself, you wouldn't need a Savior. But you need one, and I need one. God, I pray that those that would be on that side of the video right now, receive Him as Lord and Savior right now. Father, you say, I repent, I turn from my sin, and I turn to you, Lord. I can't do it on my own. I'm a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. I want the grace to overcome. And I've been out of alignment, and my body's been king, my soul has been servant, and my spirit has been slave. I repent. I ask for divine reversal. Come in, fill and flood my heart. Cause me to be born again. I turn from my sins. I turn to you now. And I ask you to write my name in Lamb's blood in the book of life and prepare a place in eternity for me. And I receive that forgiveness. Devil, get off my life. You've lost your hold. You have failed. And in Jesus' name I proclaim, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I'm saved in my spirit, I'm saved in my soul, I'm saved in my body. In Jesus' name. Romans 8.1 the land of Canaan says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in 
Christ Jesus, who walked not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit, Zenobia, play us in to the presence afresh. Amen. Barbie said she's praying Psalms 91 over me. And you know, <clears throat> Psalms 91, all the promises are for those who are in alignment, who dwell in the secret place. That's the Holy of Holies. Psalms 91 is about alignment and then everything else is added unto us. In Jesus' name. Well, tonight if you want to give an offering for Bibles or if you want to give an offering for room rent or directed toward the minister, um, we always take directed funds to whatever they go to and if you write area of most need, it goes for Bibles. Because Heart of America Prison Ministries is... Our covering, and that's our primary mission, is leather-bound Bibles to prisoners in about a thousand facilities, changing lives, one Bible at a time. So, Father, we just pray over the offering. We pray that you would multiply blessings. And this is what I declare for those that are sowing for Bibles, to, for the captives to be set free. I declare a harvest of your family members that are not in alignment, but to be set free from the mindsets and the demons and the hindrances and that which has held them back in Egypt from the land of Canaan. And I declare quantum leaps from Romans 6 in your real estate location spiritually to Romans 7 and from Romans 7 into Romans 8. Multiply the blessings we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been another powerful teaching by David Herabedian. For additional resource material, visit the shop link at davidherabedian.com.